There we go. Hello. Hello. I'm here. Oh, it's good to be back in the saddle. Last week I was sitting back there in the dark with my parents and uh, appreciate Jason filling in for me. Janie and I had a blast on our cruise even though we didn't have enough sunshine. Um, there were eight to ten foot seas the first two days on the way out and lots of people getting sick. We didn't, praise God, but others did. Um, got to Mexico. It was beautiful. Coming back, go through another low pressure system and the seas get up again. So Janie had all his plan of staying out on the deck the whole last day in, in the sun. There was no sun the last day. So we sat in a hot tub in the rain on the last day, but it was fun. We had a good time and it was good to be off. Um, we're in our marriage series and we're doing this whole thing called two to tango. And uh, we're talking about stuff that, that causes us conflict in marriage. Now, I think less than 10% of you raised your hands just a second ago when we said, how many of you have never had any stress over finances in your marriage? And, and here's what we're learning in this whole series, that when we have margin, whether that's time margin, whether that's financial margin, whether that's um, emotional margin, when we have margin, there's less stress. But when you decrease that margin, what happens to the stress? It goes up. You show me somebody who has no financial margin in their relationship, and I'll show you someone who's stressed out, who fights about money a lot, and it's pretty intense. But the other side of that is when we build margin, we don't have those arguments. We don't have that stress. When I've got extra money lying around, what does that do for the atmosphere in my home? Peaceful. It's good. Then when those unexpected expenses come up, we are ready for those types of things. If I, if I am not emotionally stable and my kids begin to squabble, what happens? Caleb's laughing because he's seen it, right? You, you, you blow a top at, at things that don't even matter. If I don't have enough money and then unexpected expenses come in, what happens to my attitude? It's not good. If my emotional energy is drained, then I don't handle things the way I should, and you don't either, I'm guessing, right? But if we have margin, then all of those things are better. Well, today we're going to talk about something we touched on in our Dare You to Move series just about four weeks ago, and this is the whole idea of how to have margin financially. Now, in that series, I said there's, there's some things I know about you and your money. A couple of things. Actually, three things I know about you and your money. Number one is everybody here is living on a percentage of their income. Right? That's, that doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that one out. Everyone's living on a percentage of their income. Number two, most of you don't know what that percentage is. Right? Nobody's laughing anymore. Um, and the third thing that I know about most of you and your money is if you stay where you are doing the same things you've been doing financially, you cannot go with God. Because the idea with God is you can never stay where you are and go with God at the same time. God invites you to be joining Him in His mission in the world, and you can never stay where you are and join God at the same time. You have to make a decision. If He really is your King, you say, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do things God's way. So you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Now, we have to define margin. Financial margin, here it is. Money that comes in minus money that goes out all of that pile of cash you have at the end of the month left over is margin. Because you're, you're inviting your family and you, you, know, you know, your wife and your kids in, you're going, look at all this money we've got left over. What are we going to do with it? Right? That's what happens at your house every end of the month. Right? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. If not, then maybe we ought to pay a little bit of attention today to what God has to say. Not what I have to say. I'm not that smart. You figured that out. But God has some things to say about financial margin. And if we do things God's way, God always leads us to margin. Emotionally, physically, financially, mentally, God leads us to a life of margin because He knows in the margin there's peace. In the margin there are uh, relationships grow and they flourish and they prosper. So we're going to talk about how to get margin with our finances. Now, God's way... If you, if you choose to do things God's way, then you are going to live at peace with God. But if you have no financial margin, guess what? That means you have not been living your life the way God wants you to live it. And so you actually are at odds with God and you rob two people. You rob yourself because you don't have peace. You rob yourself because you're robbing your future. And you rob God, and, and we, t- we looked at this about four weeks ago, that you actually rob God in your tithes and your offerings because you have no financial margin, and you're practicing something we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit called leftover giving. Leftover giving never works, emotionally, financially, physically, anything. It, it does not work, and so we're just going to look at that. Now, the last thing I need to remind you from that, from that talk was that the issue is never, the issue is never the amount of your income. Never. I was just in Progreso, Mexico, where their income, the, the lowest income in this room, would be 10 to 100 times greater than the highest income in that city I visited. All right? So the issue is not income, and, no, and we don't like this. The issue is always lifestyle. It's always choices that I make that I, I believe that I'm entitled to, and it's that sense of entitlement that gets us in trouble. So, let's look at how to have financial margin today. First, you've got to realize that God is interested in your money, and here's, here's a news flash for you. God doesn't need your money. And some of you are going, good, He's not getting it. Or you're saying, okay, if He doesn't need my money, then, then why, why are you talking about money? Well, here's the deal. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. He's saying, if you want to know where somebody's heart is, follow the money trail. Dead giveaway to where their passion is, is where does the money go every month? Now, some of you, you've filled out those little cards and you've begun looking at this and understanding this, but God says, Jesus says, if you want to know what really matters to a person, check out where the money trail leads and you'll find out what they're passionate about. And God wants us to do finances His way, not because He needs our money, but because He wants our heart. You catch that? Finances are this big, fat, pass-fail test. Y'all remember pass-fail tests? 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 I can't talk. You remember those? I hated them because it was either you pass or you fail, and I wanted you know, to know where I was in that scale, not just pass or fail. But money is this big test from God to find out if you really trust Him, to find out if your heart is His, and he wants, He's interested in our money not because He needs our money, but because He wants our heart, and our money shows where our heart is. But really, you know, some of us are flat out afraid to turn our finances over to God. We're scared of it. And that's really because we don't know God. And what you've said is, you've said, I'll do things my way, God. I'll spend money my way. And, and i just got to ask you, how's that going for you? Do you have lots of financial margin? If not, 
What's the harm in trying things God's way? What's it going to hurt if your way hasn't led to margin, hasn't led to peace, has led to stress in your marriage? Why not just give God's way a try? Well, I want to show you today um, something from Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 16. I'm, I'm using the New Living Translation. Um, but Jesus tells a parable about money. And uh, I like this parable because there's a twist to it, and you're going to have to pay attention to the twist as we go through this whole passage. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Jesus told this story to his disciples. A rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs, but soon a rumor went around that the manager was thoroughly dishonest. Now, I'm just going to tell you right here, it's not a rumor, it's true. He was thoroughly dishonest, and uh, I want you to watch what he does. So his employer called him in and said, now this is what you expect an employer to do. What's this I hear about you stealing from me? Get your report in order because you are going to get, you're going to be dismissed. Now, here's the deal. You would expect if your boss found out that you were thoroughly dishonest with the company's money, what would you expect the boss to do? Fire you. Right. So right now, everybody listening to Jesus is going, yeah, man, he deserves to get fired. We understand that totally. And he said, you're going to have to give a report to me before I can you. So if you were a thinking person and you know you've been dishonest, you're probably going to try to get the record straight, right? Before you go back to your boss because you don't want to have to face other stuff other than just being fired. You don't want to go to jail. Look what this dude does. The manager thought to himself, now what? I'm through here. <laughs> I love this. And I don't have the strength to go out and dig ditches. What he's saying is, I can't be a day laborer. I've been sitting behind a desk. My hands have no calluses on them. I'm, I'm, you know, I like air conditioning. I like my padded chair. I can't work hard. So here's the deal. I'm through here. I don't have enough strength to go out and dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. All right? You got his mindset. I know just the thing. And then I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. So he invited each person who, owned, who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, oh, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager said, tear up that bill and write another one for 400 gallons. Now you just said that you would get your records in order, right? Before you go, he's, he's not worried about what the manager thinks. He already knows he's going to get fired. He's worried about what the people, the customers think. So he just cuts this dude's bill in half right there. Now, if you're the customer, is that a good deal for you? I have a Cabela's Visa card where I get points at Cabela's, you know, world's foremost outfitter. Yeah. Well, what if Cabela's calls me up one month and says, hey, we're having this promotion. We're just going to cut your bill in half. No strings attached. No, thank you. I, I don't want that. I'd really prefer to pay $1,000. No. If somebody's going to give you a 50% discount, you're going to take it. Look at the next one. And, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. A thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, the manager said, take your bill and replace it with one for only 800 bushels. So here's the gist of the story. The money manager, without the owner's approval, gives everyone a discount. Right? Now, everyone in Jesus' audience, these were business people, agricultural folks. They owned land, they worked the land, they raised crops, they, they, they did all of this stuff, and they were business-minded people. And all the business-minded people are going, boy, is this guy going to get it. He is going to get it. 
But this is where the, the twist comes in. Verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Are you kidding me? Admire the dishonest dude for being shrewd. Come on, Jesus, that can't be the end. No, 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 no. Okay, here comes the point. I don't want you to miss it. The story is not about commending a dishonest manager. So just get that out of the way. Okay, then what's it about? Jesus continues. And it is true that the citizens of this world are more shrewd. There it is. I've got it uh, bolded for you in the sentence. Shrewd than the godly are. I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up um, a, a reward for you in heaven. Now, for years, I struggled with this parable. This does not make sense because I'm, I'm one of those people, when, when we play games, whether it's a card game, whether it's whatever, I'm a rules person. I've got enough of that personality that, that if there's a rule, we followed the rule. If there's stripes on the parking lot, I park in between the stripes and I expect you to do the same. I'm a rules person. So this dude broke the rules and it drove me nuts that Jesus didn't bring the hammer down on this dishonest guy. But he had a bigger point to make. And here is the bigger point. It's like he's saying, those of you who call yourselves followers of God, wake up. Now think about this. The, the shrewd manager realized he was short on two things. Right? When he finds out from his boss that he's going to be fired, he knows he's got two things that he's got very little of. You know what they are? Time. Because he's about to be canned. I can't work hard and I can't beg, so what am I going to do? He's got very little time. He has very little opportunity to make a difference. So this dude, using totally worldly methods, not having anything to do with God, not having the power of God's Holy Spirit living within him, he decides to do something that the world says it's probably okay, and Jesus says, man, if the people of God would only use their minds and realize they've got a shortage of two things. You know what they are? Time and opportunity. Jesus is not commending dishonesty. He's saying that the people of this world use their brains to figure out, I've got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of opportunity. And Jesus said, if only the people of God would wake up and realize they've got a short lifespan. I'm, I'm to the point in my life where when I read the newspaper, you know, the first thing I read is on the first page inside there. I swore I would never read the obituaries because that shows you're old. I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm OK. <laughs> you know what every one of those obits has in common? The little dash. They were born in this, this year, there's a dash, and they died in this year. That dash represents the entirety of your life on this earth after you're gone. You go out to the cemetery, there's a dash. And that's about how much time in the scheme of, it, in, of eternity, that's about the same. you got a little dot. You take, a dot from, you take a line from here all the way to the back, put a little bitty dot with the finest pen you can get on that line, that represents how much time you have compared to eternity to make a difference. That represents how much opportunity you have in this one life to make a difference. And Jesus said, if only the people of God would figure this out before they die, before they get before the pearly gates, before they stand before the judgment seat, before they stand before the throne of God, if only the people of God would wake up and say, 
man, I just have a few breaths and then I'm gone. Why don't I take this limited time and this limited opportunity and why don't I do something that will last forever? When Janie and I were making the decision about whether to start this church, we were sitting out at Lower Lake, we were praying, had our little prayer journal open, looking at all the things God would have to do for us to open, for us to start this church. We had squat. <laughs> no job. I was actually sweeping floors just to have a little money to, to buy groceries. Making seven fifty an hour. And the guy liked me, so every now and then he'd give me a little bit extra. He's like, I wish I could pay you more. And I think I've told you the story. It was me and three other guys who didn't speak English. And, you know, you see us going around sweeping floors, and it's like one of these things is not like the other. That was me. When we're sitting there and, and we're just saying, God, what do we do? Janie said one of the most profound things that she's ever said in our marriage. She said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and think, what if we'd done this? She said, I don't want to come 20 years from now and say, gosh, how would our lives be different if we'd stepped out in faith? And I mean, we did this all backwards. We just called a few friends and said, hey, we're starting a church. <laughs> and we had like 15 adults show up at the first service. A couple of kids. We had no clue, but she said, let's take this opportunity that we have. We may never walk this way again, and let's give it a try. And Jesus is saying in this parable, if the people of God would only clue in and put all of their time and efforts into things that last forever, then we could start winning this battle against Satan instead of losing so many. The church could be vital and real in a community. People could say, wow, I find answers there. One of our things that we've said from the beginning is we are a real church, real people, real problems, but this provides real answers. Let's start living like God says. It'll make a difference. People will notice and they'll want to be a part of it. Now, wake up, he says, and realize that you cannot take your money with you. You ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? I just read this morning, I was, I was skimming through the paper after I read the obituaries. I was skimming through the paper and it said that, that uh, some folks were, were demolishing their old homestead. It had been abandoned for years and, and the, I guess the dad finally passed away. He'd been in a nursing home. And so they were, they were going through and cleaning it all out. And um, one of the money managers, ironically an honest one, he was cleaning out the upstairs and he says he walks down the steps and he notices a hole in the wall. And he looks in the hole in the wall and he sees something shiny. He begins to pull out coins from the 1700s. He's estimating they're worth over $200,000. They've already started posting them on the internet, on eBay for, for auction. And he said... Here's the deal. The kids remembered that somewhere, you know, there's some rumor that some granddad and great-granddad, you know, just they'd walk by the hole in the wall. The hole in the wall had been there for generations. And whenever, you know, they would have a little extra change, instead of throwing it on the bucket on the counter, they'd throw it in the wall. What a way to invest your money. A hole in the wall. I mean, somebody's eventually going to get it, but it didn't do you much good. You can't take your money with you, but if you do things God's way you can send your money on ahead. Because the Bible says the way we live our life, the way we use our money, determines really the types of rewards that we get in heaven. 
And, and Jesus says a, a really cool thing later in this passage. If you still have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 16, look at verse 10 and 11. Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? All right, here's the deal from Jesus. He says, we're watching God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're watching to see how you live this life. We're watching to see how you use earthly treasure to determine whether we can trust you with real treasure. If you can't be trusted with earthly treasure, why would God put somebody's destiny in your hands, their eternal destiny? Why would He trust you with leading someone to Christ with the most important thing in their life if you can't be trusted in small things? And, you know, if you look at the bottom line, most of us would look at the bottom line and go, that's pretty small. Right? It's not big enough anyway because, you know, I always have that little thing. If I just made a little more money, if I just had a little more every month, it'd be good. Jesus is saying, if you can't be trusted with what you have, why would we trust you with more? Now, based on your track record with money, why would God really trust you? Verse 13, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, another word for money here, some of you have been in church, have church background, it's um, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You ever heard that term, mammon? Mammon is actually a term that means stuff. So it really means you can't serve God and stuff at the same time. And, and I know that, that some of you are going, well, I'm not serving my stuff. If you have no financial margin, you are. Because, see, we've bought into this whole idea that we need to get the most out of life. And the way to get the most out of life is to buy everything I can on credit and then be in debt. And what happens? You spend all of your time digging your way out of debt. All of your thoughts are consumed with the pressures financially that shouldn't be there because if you did things God's way, you'd have financial margin. So, we've got to quit serving our stuff. Now, let me just ask you, at the end of the month, does the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that, that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Is that what you feel when you look at your pile of money versus your pile of bills? Or do you get concerned that there's not enough? I'm not making it. Well, then we may be serving our stuff. How do we fix it? All right. Here's what we're, this is what you wanted to get to. You don't want any of that other stuff. You want to know how do we fix it? Well, there's, there's some steps you can take. Baby steps. I've been listening to, uh, Dave Ramsey, been reading his book, um, one of his books, and, and listening to all these different things, looking at all this stuff. There's some baby steps you need to take to move back from the ledge. Because when you're on the ledge, how do you act? Uptight. You ever been in some place real tall? My mom and I were in the, in that space needle thing in Seattle one year. Actually, Janie was pregnant with Caleb at the time, so she was sick, throwing up in the hotel on our vacation. She hated that vacation. So Mom and I are, are at the Space Needle, and we're up at the Space Needle. I don't know how high it is. It's like, you know, 900 feet, 1,000 feet. I don't know what it is. But when you step off of the platform back onto the, the elevator, there's a gap about this wide. And, and I go, check it out, Mom. And my mom looks down, and you can see 1,000 feet down. And my 75-year-old mom's knees buckled. 
as we're getting on the elevator. And I had to catch her and carry her on the elevator because, dude, when you're on the edge, it makes you act funky. And I said, I'm sorry, Mom, I didn't mean to jack you up. And she's like, oh, just scared me. And I was like, yeah, I just thought it was cool. I won't ever do that again. When you're on the edge of a cliff and you're about to go over, you act very differently than when you're way back from the edge, right? That's margin. So we want to have that type of margin financially. How do we do it? All right, here are your steps. you got six of them on your listening guide. Step number one is figure out your annual income. Um, if you have a cell phone, how many of you have cell phones that have a calculator? All right, pull those out. This is the one time I'm going to let you use your cell phone in, in church. We have a few calculators at the back. I think they're in that one basket, or did you find them? Are they up here? I found them. I laid an egg. Um, if you need a calculator, just, just raise your hand. We've got a few right here. All right, what I want you to do is take that number that you came up with on the card that, that Alex had you work through. Take that number. One back here. One here. Kelly need one. Mark need one. Okay, take that number, and, and this is how we're going to do this. Multiply that by 12. You had a monthly income figure. Multiply that by 12. All right, hopefully you put down the amount of money that comes in every month. Multiply that by 12. And what we're going to do is figure out our annual income. Now, look at that number, and it seems a lot bigger than you thought it would be. Because <laughs> it's an annual income. You're like, I, no way I made that much money. But okay, take that figure. Then I want you to begin to subtract some things. Subtract debt. Subtract, you know, things like your mortgage. Things like your legal obligations. If you have, um, you know, if you have child support, if you have um, things that, that you will get thrown in jail for if you don't pay. You know, you may have to multiply that by 12 to get that total annual figure. Begin to, to, to subtract those things from your, from your annual income. Are you with me? Some of you look confused. Multiply your monthly income by 12. That gets your annual income. Then if you may have to look at your little sheet you did, your monthly sheet, multiply like mortgage by 12, all of those things, so that you can subtract it and you'll have the accurate number. All right? Now, once you get all of your debts, that's taxes, that's you know mortgage, your debts, subtract all that, your annual number, and that gives you your operating, your net operating expenses for the year. And that number is not nearly as big as you want it to be. All right. Now, once you figure that out, here we go. Set margin goals. This is your second step. Set margin goals. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm going to tell you, this is the dream phase. This is not reality yet. <laughs> All right? This is where you're dreaming. What I want you to do is I want you to look at that net operating expenses, and I want you to, to just dream in your mind. And, and we're actually taking time to do this because I know you won't do it later. So we're doing it right now. I want you to say, what percentage of that income would you like to save over the next year? What percentage would you like to save? And just dream. Whatever it is, put that percentage down and then take those numbers, you know. If it's, if it's 10% and you're making 30000 a year, then that's $3,000 you'd like to save. Then you subtract that from your operating expenses. Make sense? Okay, the second thing is, your second goal is, what percentage of that income would I like to give away? Whether that's to church or charity or, or whatever it is, what percentage of my income would I like to give away? Are you all with me? Well, right, yeah, we, we teach 10%, right? 
So if you, if you would like to do 10%, then put 10%. This is the dream phase. All right? Now, this is where it gets fun. Now, I want you to take your, your actual net operating expenses, whatever that number was, subtract your savings goal, if that's 10%, let's just say it's $30,000 for the year. If it's 10%, that's $3,000. Subtract that. If you had 10% for giving, that's $3,000. Subtract that. And what do you come up with? That's your operating goal for the year. And that number is very small and you might pass out. Hang on, because it's going to get worse. All right, now remember, this is just the dream phase. Now, whatever that number is, I want you to divide it by 12. Because I want you to see what you're going to have to do in order to have margin every month. All right, you divide it by 12. How many of you are freaking out at how small that number is? Nobody? Y'all are all good. Good, all right. So these are margin goals. Now, here's where I want to talk to you about leftover funding. You will never reach your goals if you do the leftover deal. You know, you pay all of the other stuff and then what's left over you'll save and what's left over you'll give. How much is left over at the end of your month generally? Jack. <laughs> Nothing. And so you won't reach your goals if you do it that way. So it's time to do something radically different. And, and some of you are going to say, I can't do it. Well, maybe you can't. And maybe God wants you to just stare at that number a little bit and say, man, have I been missing it for a long time. And man, am I going to have to do some things differently if I'm going to reach that. But here's the thing. If you will live, this is Dave Ramsey's kind of mantra, if you'll live like no one else, someday you can live like no one else. And here's what he means. If you will severely limit yourself now and do that over a period of time, you'll begin to build margin. And if you do that long enough, you'll have a big margin and then you really can live the life of your dreams. But you've got to start somewhere and you've got to start sometime. Here's the third thing, third step. Track spending. Now, I'm not going to ask for this but because we've done this before and I kind of, kind of know. There's, there's a lot of us that we have no idea how much our credit card bill is until it comes in. And then when it comes in, it's usually more than we expected. Right? That's because the credit card companies know that if you will do something on plastic, you'll spend 20 to 30% more than if you were just spending cash. You've got to know this is the one area. There's a limited amount of money coming in. It ought to be an area with all the financial software that we have that, that there should be no question. Because what, what happens many times, and, and, and by the way, financial issues are the number one concern or one of the biggest causes of divorces in America. So somehow we're getting this thing wrong. Let's, let's figure out how to get it right. This is the one area where you don't have to wonder how much she's been spending on clothing and how much he's been spending on hunting. If you'll track spending, you'll know exactly how much. There'll be clarity. And, and you might be surprised, guys, that you've spent more on your hobby than she spent on shoes. <laughs> Some of you say, no chance. Well, track it and we'll see. God is going to ask you for a report someday. You're going to stand before God and give a report. And we want to be able to give Him a good report. And I want you to remember, James 1.17 says, Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Every good thing comes from God. So we need to have a record of where those good things are going since they don't belong to us. 
If you don't know where they're going, you can't have margin. So sometimes we don't really want to know what's, where it's going. We want to ignore it because we think if we ignore it long enough, it'll get better. Is that what happens to your broken down fence? If you ignore it, does that fence mend itself? If you've got a door in your house that doesn't work, does it mend itself? No, neither do your finances. So we've got to pay attention. All right, four and five go together. Four and five, begin saving and giving now. Begin saving and giving now. This is the number one question I get from people when they're trying to figure out if they're going to begin giving. I have so much debt, wouldn't it make more sense to pay off my debt and then begin giving? Well, i got two responses to that. Number one is, when do you want God involved in your finances? Do you want Him involved in your finances before or after you pay off debt? Because to, do, to have God involved, He says, you've got to do things my way. But here's the other thing. Savings and giving are habits. And don't wait until you get out of debt to form good habits. You're in debt because of bad habits. It's time to replace those with good habits. So start today giving and saving. You say, there's no stinking way I can do 10%. Then start at 1% and pray to God that He'll give you the courage to move up next year. Start at 5%. Start somewhere. Don't wait until you're out of debt to begin saving and giving. Number six is make a, retirement, uh, make a plan to retire debt. Every dollar of debt that you don't have to pay increases your bottom line. So the simplest way to have more to spend is to get out of debt. So there's, there's really two ways that you increase your bottom line. Get out of debt and decrease lifestyle. It's never about income because if you just rely on income, as your income expands, so does your lifestyle. Okay, so if you just say, I can't do it, I'm not going to do it, then just ignore it. Maybe it'll get better. But if you want to do something, there's, a, there's an article um, that, that Alex found on the Internet, and it's from Consumerist.com. And here was the title. It caught my, caught my attention. It says, for those of you who are broke, then it says, five expenses you can't afford if you have, uh, if you have a credit card. Or expenses you can't afford, yeah, if you have a credit card. All right, you ready for this? Now, this is, this is not theologically correct, but I just liked the article. Um, so this is not somebody who's a Christian. This is just somebody who says, you want to get out of debt? Here's some things, five things you cannot have if you have a credit card and you have debt. Number five, sorry, Jason, cable. Well, you're not cable, you're satellite, but same difference. Not really, but yeah. Anyway. Your excuse, but, 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 but I need cable. I get a good deal. It's only $100 a month. I use it a lot. It's bundled with my phone and internet. I'll only save 30 bucks a month if I cancel it. Now, I'm just going to read you the article here. Know what? We don't care. If you have credit card debt, you can't afford cable. You don't actually need it. In fact, after you get rid of it, you may well find that you don't even miss it. Lots of people get along just fine without it. Cancel your, ca- your cable. Get cheaper internet. Cancel your home phone if you don't need it. Put the money you save toward your credit card debt. Once you stop spending more than you earn and have paid your debts, you can think about getting cable again. Number four, eating out. Your excuse. But, but, but I love food. I don't have time to cook. I can't cook. I'll poison my entire family. I'm too busy working. It doesn't cost that much. If it didn't cost that much, you wouldn't have credit card debt. If you're spending more than you earn, you have to stop eating. Learn to cook. When? Well, since you canceled cable, you'll have a lot more time on your hands. Make yourself a firm grocery budget. Put all your grocery money in an envelope and go to the store. Don't spend any more than is in that envelope. The envelope system is one of the best things Janie and I have ever done. 
You put it in there. When it's gone, you stop spending. You don't pull out the, the plastic. And <laughs> there's enough in your pantry to live on for about six weeks, probably. I mean, if you don't believe it, look at the survivor people. They'll take anything you've got in your pantry. All right, number three, recreational shopping. Your excuse. But, 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 but shopping makes me feel better. I'm depressed. My kids need stuff. I need stuff. I have to look good for work. I have to buy expensive gifts for people so they'll like me. If you have credit card debt, you're probably buying more crap than you need. This means that you probably have enough crap to sustain you for a while. Stop shopping. Have a yard sale. Cut up your credit cards if you can't make yourself stop. Don't cancel them, though, because you still need the time to pay them off. Number two, gym membership. Your excuse, but, 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 but this is my health we're talking about. I'm fat. I'll get fatter. I need the gym. I have a contract. Sell your membership or cancel it if it's month to month. You don't really need it. You can do jumping jacks. Also, since you're going to be eating out less and sitting on your butt watching cable less, it'll be easier to lose weight. Once you pay off your debts, you can see if a gym membership fits in your budget. In the meantime, go outside and play. Number one, expensive cars. Your excuse, but I am what I drive. I love this car. This car is who I am. No, it's not. Sell it. Get a cheaper car. Use the money to pay off your debts. No one cares what you drive except you and really shallow people who suck. That's my favorite line in the whole deal. No one cares what you drive except you and really shallow people who suck. Do you really want to be in debt just to impress a bunch of shallow people? Bottom line, stop putting it off. Leftover giving and savings never get you out of debt. It gets you further from God. All right, now, let's, let's make this intensely practical. All right, we've given you steps, and let's make this so practical. All right, I got ten of these. All right? Ooh, yeah. Actually, JoJo was impressed. She goes, you have lots of money. How old is she? Three. Three, yeah. She's impressed that I, with my pile of cash here. All right, so here's the way God says to do it. Very simple. I got ten of them. God says, I want one. All right, we're going to do things God's way. I want one. Then God says, and there's all kinds of Proverbs, Jesus, Jesus spoke more about money than He did about heaven, hell, prayer, or faith. You don't know why? Because it shows the condition of your heart. And so Jesus talks about this, Proverbs talks about it. We're supposed to do the next dollar, next 10% to our future. Alright, so God, my future. Then, then your government. Your government wants some money, right? Now, now, before you start bad-mouthing the government, I will say this, and this is really cool about your government. Your government says, if you'll do this, the first dollar to God, if you'll give right, and if you'll save right, you'll actually have to pay less of these to your government. Right? Okay? So there's your government. Then... Debt. All right? Whether you got a mortgage, car payment, credit card, whatever, you've got debt, so you've got to pay for it. Then, I have all of this left to spend on me, how I'm, how I'm going to do my life, right? That's really cool. But, but here's what we do. Wait, wait. This is what we do. And, and I've asked Drew to help me out with this, so you can watch up the screen at the same time. This is how we do it. Me! Then next, um, well, because the, the check, you know, the, 
my employer takes money out for the government, so taxes, so government. And then debt, visa, visa, visa. Where's visa? It's hidden with all my rewards cards. Visa for debt. Oh, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then we get to my future. Notice how this gets smaller. (laughs) And then very last of all, God. Right? In your experience, isn't this how most people live their lives? Me. Then you come to church. God. Here you go, God. And whatever's left over. And the problem is we don't have anything left over. And so our future goes to pot. And the church, and I'm not speaking about us specifically, churches all over the place. Are churches everywhere, you know, just flourishing with money? No. You want to know why? Because we're doing money like that. God says, whoa, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh. First God, then your future, then the government, then debt. You're number five. You're number five on the list. And if you'll pay off debt, you get to move up to number four. And you will never, ever be above number four. But if you'll do things God's way, this pile will get bigger. So that at the end of the month, There's not stress. There really are choices about what are we going to do with the extra. So, we just got some decisions that we've got to make. We need to stop having pity parties. And we need to stop praying, Oh, God, provide! Because God's saying, I did. And you spin it. You're driving it. You're living in it. It's in your yard. I've provided, but you've not done things my way. And God loves you enough to let you suffer the consequences of your actions so that you'll get at the end of your way and you'll say, here I am, God. And He goes, all right, I can work with somebody like that. So the choice is now, are you going to do it God's way or are you going to do it your way? If things hadn't been working your way, do it God's way. He's interested in your money because He wants your heart. If you take your registration cards real quickly, fill those.